worship service with wonderful message through the choir anthems. I'm going to repeat some of those words in a moment, but also such a wonderful message through the skit. I'm so grateful for those that work on these skits. That's, I don't know, the fifth or sixth or something that I've seen since I've been here, and they've, they're doing a wonderful job, uh, wonderful job with that. And, you know, it's been, a, it's been wonderful being with you at, at Bethel through this Lenten season. We had a wonderful Monday, Thursday a service here on Thursday night. And then I don't know how many of you were out for the Easter egg hunt yesterday, but the place was packed, and you couldn't walk anywhere because there were eggs everywhere. I think there's about 500 left over, so if you find any under your seats, uh, don't eat the chocolate out of it. I'm just kidding. But there were a lot of Easter eggs. It was wonderful. So I'm so appreciative for all the helpers and workers and certainly Pastor Carl's uh, leadership with that. It's been wonderful. It's great to celebrate these events and great to celebrate the children coming in and opportunities to minister to the children. Did you notice those, those words, though, of, of the songs we've been singing? Um, certainly, In Christ Alone. It's one of my favorite hymns. I want it sang at my funeral. Uh, mark it down. Hopefully, we got about 50 years for that. But um, wonderful. It just tells the whole gospel story. Don't just sing them. Meditate on the words. And may those words just come from your heart up to God as we worship as we worship God through these songs, and then the, the choir anthem, I have some of the words that I'm going to repeat. The king is coming. The king is coming. I just heard the trumpet sounding, and now his face I see. Oh, the king is coming. The king is coming. Praise God, he's coming for me. They sang Christ arose. He arose. He arose. Hallelujah. Christ arose. Some of our most favorite, most popular Easter hymns were in these choir anthems. Rejoice, the Lord is king, your Lord and king adore. Rejoice, give thanks, and sing, and triumph evermore. Lift up your, lift up your heart, lift up your voice, except for me. So you wouldn't want that. Rejoice again, I say rejoice. Lift up your voice, rejoice again, I say rejoice. Why are we rejoicing? Because the king has come, because the resurrection. As the skit said, the resurrection changes everything, because he lives. Crown him with many crowns. The lamb upon his throne, hark how the heavenly anthem drowns, all music but his own. Awake, my soul, and sing of him who died for thee. I'll hail him as thy matchless king through all eternity. Crown him the Lord of life, who triumphed o'er the grave, who rose victorious in the strife for those he came to save. Wow, those are some powerful words. The Lord of lives, who triumphed over the grave. The king is coming, the king is coming. I just heard the trumpet sound, and now his face I see. The king is coming, the king is coming. Praise God, he's coming for me. The marketplace is empty, no more traffic in the streets. All the builder's tools are silent, no more time to harvest wheat. Busy housewives cease their labors in the courtroom, no debate. Work on earth is all suspended as the king comes through the gate goes on and then jumps to amazing grace. And when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we'd first begun. You know, Jesus is our king. To quote another wonderful hymn, we serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. Jesus' resurrection is one of a few things that separate Christianity from other religions. Another thing that separates Christianity from other religions is grace. The idea of being saved by grace through faith. It's not, a, it's not about works. But 
resurrection changes everything. You know, I've heard that possums are smart animals. I wouldn't believe it because usually when I see them, they're on the side of the road dead. There's a joke that I heard as a kid, and I'll never forget. It says, why did the chicken cross the road? It was to show the possum that it could be done because they're always dead. But possums, it turns out, are smart, except for traffic. They don't do well with that. A possum will not enter a hole if there's just one set of tracks going into it. If there's just one set of tracks going into the hole, they obviously can know that there's something in that hole, maybe a king cobra or something exciting like that. Hopefully not. But if there are two sets of tracks going into the hole, they know that they can go into that hole because whatever went into that hole has gone out. The message of Easter is that we can enter the grave. And we don't have to fear death because there are tracks leading out of the tomb. Paul preached the proclamation of Easter. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? This is the message that we need to hear this Easter. That Jesus is risen. There is a victory over the tomb. Death has no sting. You know, I heard yesterday there's a wonderful radio show on Moody Radio called Open Line. It's on every Saturday morning from um, 10 to noon with Dr. Michael Rydalnik, a professor uh, from Moody Bible Institute. You can podcast it on a smartphone if you have that. They were talking about, you know, the different resurrection narratives. And he opened by sharing that Rome crucified, Rome crucified something like 20,000 people. Something like 20,000, mainly men. And if it were not for the resurrection, Jesus would have been just part of those 20,000. But the resurrection changes everything. I want to read Matthew 28, 1 through 10. Timothy Burns just read it fabulously, but I'm going to read it again, just so it's fresh on our minds again, and we get the message home. Matthew 28, 1 through 10. After the Sabbath at dawn... On the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and, going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid, yet filled with joy. And ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly, suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. A few words about this passage. Notice first that women went to the tomb. 
Mary Magdalene, Mary Magdalene and another woman named Mary went to the tomb first. All four of the Gospels record this, and this is a proof of the Gospels. Jesus even uses the women later in verse 10 to tell the rest of the resurrection. If the men were just making this stuff up or writing about it, they would never have used women as witnesses. Because back in that day and age, women were not credible witnesses. It is very important that women went to the tomb first. Now these women are very upset. They are mourning. Jesus, whom they were following, had been crucified. And now they're going to put spices on his body. Now why are they putting spices on his body? They did not, the Jewish people did not embalm a body. They didn't do anything like that. By three days, the, 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 the odor, the stench would start to get pretty offensive, pretty bad. And they put spices on the body to cover up the smell, to cover up the odor. The Jewish people did not do anything to prevent the decay of a body. But in this case, the body is not decaying. And by the way, his body did not need the spices either. Verse 2 records a great earthquake, and an angel had descended and rolled away the stone. You know, I believe the earthquake was caused by the angel. The stone probably weighed something like one ton, and the, 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 the women are even wondering who's going to roll away the stone. Maybe they thought they were going to ask the soldiers to help or ask someone else. In fact, there's a theory called the swoon theory. It's the idea that maybe Jesus did not really die. He just... He just appeared to die, and they put him in the grave, and the third day, this guy who has been beaten beyond the point of recognition with a cat of nine tails, you know, and had been crucified, which you die by suffocation, is somehow going to just come to life and roll away a one-ton stone. If you study crucifixion, it just blows the swoon theory to bits. It would not work. No, none of that could have happened. It it could not work. The stone was... Quite a heavy stone. So there's this earthquake, and an angel comes, and an angel rolls a stone away. But the other question is, why was the stone rolled away? Jesus did not need the stone rolled away. The stone was rolled away not to let Jesus out, but to let us in. The stone was rolled away so that we could see inside the tomb, so the disciples could go into the tomb and declare he's not here. He is risen. Jesus did not need it rolled away. Verse 3 describes the angel sitting. He is sitting. This has the idea of his work being done. His work is complete. He is sitting. It's over. Verse 4, the guards. These Roman trained guards were shaking. I love it. The word used to describe them shaking has the same root as the word used for the earthquake, seisma. They're shaking, you know, in fear. These are Roman-trained guards. You know, they're trained to go into major battles, and now they're shaking because they've been encountered with an angel and with this man who was crucified and walks out of the tomb. I wish they had, like, hidden cameras so we could see it. Wouldn't that be cool? But we have faith. You know, we have to have faith here. I just want to see the Roman-trained guards shaking. You know, they've, they've crucified 20,000 people. They've never seen this before. It doesn't happen every day. But it does happen with Jesus. In verses 5 through 7, the angel tells the women what to do. The angel acknowledges that they're looking for Jesus. The angel tells them that he is risen. The angel tells them to look in the tomb. 
They can even look and see the evidence that he's been risen. In the villages of northern India, a missionary was preaching in a bazaar. As he closed, a Muslim gentleman came up and said, You must admit, we have one thing you have not. And it's better than anything you have. They have one thing, they're Muslim, they have one thing, and, and, and it's better than anything you have. And so the missionary smiled and said, I should be pleased to hear what it is. And the Muslim said, you know, when we go to Mecca, when we go to Mecca, we at least find a coffin. But when you Christians go to Jerusalem, which is your Mecca, you find nothing but an empty grave. But the missionary just smiled and said, that is just the difference. Muhammad is dead. Muhammad is in the coffin. And false systems of religion and philosophy are in their coffins. But Jesus Christ, whose kingdom is to include all nations and all kindreds and all tribes, is not here. He is risen. And all power in heaven and on earth is given unto him. This is our hope, the empty tomb. He is risen. The angel tells him to go and tell others. Notice again the commonality of the gospel. Jesus uses common, ordinary people and women to go and declare this message. Now they see, now if you look in, uh, um, in verses 8 through 10, they see Jesus. Notice they see Jesus and they fall at his feet and they worship him. But they fall on his feet and they, they grasp his feet. And, and this is to show that Jesus is not an apparition. He is real. He is tangible. He, he really has resurrected. And they worship him in humility. And by the way, this is why we worship on Sunday. Because Jesus rose on the first day of the week on Sunday. Sunday is not the same as the Sabbath. The Sabbath was Saturday, the seventh day of the week. But we worship on Sunday for Jesus rose on Sunday. This brings me to something else I want to talk about. Why does the resurrection matter? Who cares? Why does it really matter? What is the importance? In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 through 8, the scriptures write about Jesus appearing to the disciples and later over 500 people. Some of them all at the same time. He's appearing to them. And this is to show the reality of the resurrection. You know, some people think, well, maybe they had hallucinations. They just thought they saw Jesus. But 500 people do not have the same hallucination all at once. Again, Jesus showed many that he had been resurrected. Later in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 13 through 15, the scriptures tell us that if Christ was not raised from the dead, our faith is in vain. This means that our faith is useless apart from the resurrection. Later on in the same chapter, the scriptures write about our hope in the resurrection. Because Christ rose from the dead, we have hope. We have hope that when we, that when we die, it is not the end. We have hope that when our family members and friends who are Christians die, they are not gone, but they are with Christ in eternal paradise. It's not so long, it's see you later. We can see them again because they will have resurrected bodies as Jesus did. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15, 55, where, O death, is thy sting? There's no longer a sting in death. Christians grieve, but we do not grieve the same as the world. We don't grieve as those who do not have hope. We have hope. There's a stark contrast, a major difference 
between a Christian funeral or memorial service and a non-believer funeral and memorial service. We have hope because Jesus lives, we too shall live again. In America, we do not think about death enough. We have a lot of luxuries, and in a way, we can praise God for them. We don't fight to survive, not like they did in the Middle Ages or another day. We have food and water and plenty, and in a way, that's wonderful. A few years ago, Mercedes was four years old, my oldest daughter. She's six now. And we had a minivan with an engine that blew up. It didn't really blow up. It was just bad. Maybe that's the same thing. We chose not to fix it, and so we sold it for $500 on Craigslist. And as the guy drove it away, Mercedes looked at it, and she said, where's he going with it? We said, we sold it to him. Uh, And she said, you mean we're not going to see it again? And tears came in her eyes. You know, she was experiencing, you know, loss, that this is gone. And and it's just a materialistic item. It's just, you know, a, a, a van. It had Memories for her of trips, you know, and things like that, but it's just a van. It's stuff. That happens to stuff all the time. It goes bad. It goes to the junkyard. It, you know, is burned up, whatever. But as Christians, well, let me back up. God created us not to die, but to live forever. It's not a question of will we, will we live forever, but where? As Christians, we know we live forever with eternity in paradise with God. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Uh, A message I just have to keep proclaiming because I've pastored too many funerals. Christ shows that this is not simply his normal body coming back to life. No, this is a renewed body. In John chapter 20, verses 11 through 18, Jesus enters our room when the doors are locked. It seems as though our resurrected bodies may not be as limited as our current bodies. I'm thinking I might even be able to sing. Jesus' resurrected body will not die again, which is different than Lazarus. Jesus raised Lazarus from the tomb, but Lazarus would have to die again. In fact, I had one Bible professor say, that might be why Jesus wept before rising him from the, raising him from the dead. Lazarus would have to die again. Jesus would never die again. In our renewed, resurrected bodies, which we have in Christ, we will live forever in a glorified body. Our bodies are weak and frail, and that is why we die. But the resurrection gives us hope, as death no longer is a sting. This happened because Jesus went to the cross. The cross is something that has caused many to stumble, to think that a king should die on a cross. Cicero, the Roman author and orator, said, Let the very name of the cross be far away from Roman citizens. Not from their bodies only, but from their thoughts, their eyes, and their ears. The cross was a scorn. It was a humiliating way to die. Roman citizens would not be crucified. But the cross was the way Jesus died. In his death, he paid the penalty for the wrong things we do, what we call sin. And then he rose from the dead, the first fruits of the resurrection. Our bodies are frail, but because Jesus went to the cross, we have this hope that someday we will have perfect eternal bodies in an eternal home where there is no death. One once wrote, he is risen. Christ is risen, sing it out with joyful voice. He has burst the three days prison. Let the whole wide earth rejoice. Death is conquered. We are free. 
Christ has won the victory. The question is, do you believe that? Do you believe that Jesus has conquered death? That Jesus has won the victory? And are you in Christ? Today, do you know that you're in Christ? you have confidence that when Jesus calls you home, when death calls you, you have confidence that you're in Christ. You're going to go to be with him in heaven, in paradise. I believe that as Christians, we can have total confidence. We don't have to have that fear. We can know by believing in Jesus as Lord and Savior, by, by trusting in his, his death and resurrection for eternal life, by confessing our sins to him and committing to him, we can have confidence that we'll go to heaven. Now, I, I broke it down in those four words. Uh, believe, trust, commit, confess. That may not be the right order. But I break it down because we use belief too casually. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but shall have everlasting life. It's belief. But that word belief has an idea of a trust, an utter, complete trust, just like you're trusting in those pews to hold you up right now. Are you trusting completely, wholeheartedly in Jesus for your eternal life? That trust has to come with confession. Are you confessing that you need a Savior? You're a sinner in need of a Savior. That trust has to come with commitment. Are you committed to Jesus as your Lord and Savior, to live for him, to be a, to be a disciple of him, an apprentice for, of him, a follower of him? For Luke 9.23, Jesus said, anyone can follow me. It's open to anyone. You don't have to be Jewish. You don't have to be a certain culture group. You don't have to be male or female. Anyone. But Jesus said, you must deny yourself, take up your cross daily and follow me. Jesus even turned people away and told them to count the cost. And I encourage you today, count the cost. Are you following Jesus? Are you trusting in him? I think there's a lot of us here that would say we believe in Jesus. I think a lot of us would say we've confessed we're sinners in need of a Savior. I think a lot of us would say we've trusted in him. But I see an American problem here at Bethel. Are we committed to him? A lot of other things calling for our commitment beyond Jesus. But Jesus is either Lord of all or not Lord at all. Is he Lord of all in your life? The Bible can be summed up in acronyms that spells gospel. God created us to be with him. We find that in Genesis 1 and 2. But our sins, they separate us from God. We find that in Genesis 3. Throughout all the Old Testament, we find that the sins cannot be removed by good deeds. So paying the price, this is a P. Paying the price for sin, Jesus died and rose again. And everyone who trusts in him alone has eternal life. And life is eternal means we will be with Jesus forever. Are you trusting in him as Lord and Savior? In that case, you can know you will be resurrected just like Jesus, the first fruits of the resurrection. You can also know the grave has no sting. You go straight to be with God in heaven. Let us pray. Oh, Lord Jesus, we celebrate your resurrection today. We celebrate it not only for you, but for us. Because you came and you lived 33 years in humility to die on the cross for our sins and rise again. You came for us. Jesus, you went to that cross, not for you. Jesus, you could have called down ten legions of angels to conquer Rome. You went to the cross willingly, submissively for us to take care of our sins and rise again. Death could not contain you. Oh, Jesus, I pray that we are trusting in you as Lord and Savior. And if there's anyone here 
who has not made a commitment to you, may today be the day of salvation. We are never, ever, ever promised tomorrow. If there's anyone here who maybe they've believed in you as Lord and Savior before, maybe they've confessed that they're sinners in need of a Savior before, maybe they've trusted in you before, but today they are being convicted that they are not committed to you. Jesus, may today be the day of repentance and turning over commitment to you. And may they tell you this in a simple prayer, something like this. Lord Jesus, I recognize that I have sinned and I have done wrong things. I recognize that I need you to take care of my sins as you did on the cross. I believe in you, Jesus, that you're the only way to heaven, that you took care of my sins. I trust in you as the way, the truth, and the life, as John 14, 6 says. I'm committing my life to you. Jesus, help me to live for you. Jesus, help us all to live committed to you. In Jesus' name, amen.